wisdom rise ancestors surround us rise. welcome to advancing the art of aging i'm carol silver elliot president and ceo of the jewish home family a continuum of services for older adults located in northern bergen county I'm delighted today to have as my guest Emily Spazanti, who is a speech therapist here at the Jewish Home at Rockley. Emily, welcome. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here and talk a little bit about what I do. That's great. So tell me, what does a speech therapist do? So our title is technically a speech language pathologist. So it covers the speech, it covers the language in our title, but it obviously doesn't cover swallowing. And that's a major part of what we do in this type of setting. So it's very interesting. Everyone's like, why do I need a speech therapist? I have no trouble speaking. (laughs) I was like, well, you know, I'm working on from here up, uh, shoulders up, uh, anything from talking, thinking, and swallowing. So, Yeah, it's a much broader definition than what the name implies, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Tell me how significant an issue swallowing is in the long-term care setting. It's pretty major, isn't it? I would say probably 90% of my caseload has to do with swallowing issues, and that's called dysphagia. Um, I'm not sure how familiar some people are with it, but... It just means that it's a disorder of swallowing. So um, it's a major decline as you age, which it could just be from chewing something. As we know, a lot of people that are aging, dentures come into factors. So um, it's very broad, but there's a lot of sectors to swallowing disorders. So it really could have to do with what I'll call normal aging but also could have to do with illness or injury or certainly cognitive impairment. Absolutely. How significant is swallowing impairment with individuals who have a diagnosis of dementia? Very significant because there's a lot of sensory aspects to eating. So we have the vision of what food you're presented. We have the texture and taste and um, basically a lot of patients with dementia, it varies. Some people are able to feed themselves. Some people need the assistance in in feeding. So it's just, there's a lot of factors on how something's presented, how it tastes, how it looks, and the ability to swallow. Because some people, as they advance with their disease with dementia, they kind of forget how to swallow sometimes, don't they? It does happen, and that's where caregiver education really comes into play. It's about educating and modifying what we're able to if the patient isn't able to modify their behavior. Because, you know, if someone's listening to us out in the community who's dealing with someone who's elderly or has some sort of an impairment, the solution isn't to try and force feed someone, is it? Absolutely not. If someone is not accepting the food, that's when we back off and we think, How can we present it in a way that they will accept it? What are they asking for? It's really patient-centered in our approaches as therapists in general. And really to find that which might appeal to the individual. Exactly. Now, at the Jewish Home, we have long had a policy of liberalizing diets. And I know that when we started that, which is really goes back about almost six years, my early days here, 
Um, it was it was a big topic for discussion between the speech pathologists, but also the dietitians, the nursing staff, and even social work got involved. What what does it mean liberalizing diet, and how does it impact the work that you do? So, what comes to mind is quality of life. So. What is the best for this patient? This patient presents with X, Y, Z, and they want this. It might not be the same for every patient. There could be a patient with some type of disorder that wants to be on regular drinks all the time. And if you're able to educate appropriately, it's ultimately it's a patient's decision on what they have. Whereas you could have a completely different patient that's like, no, I don't care if my drinks are thickened. As long as I can feed myself, and drink it safely, I'll have it modified, no problem. So it's all about what is best for the patient. Right. So really making sure that people get what it is that meets not only their needs, but also their desires. Exactly. Yeah, we had, we, I remember a lot of conversations about this because I distinctly remember some of our elders, and I know we have elders like this now, who say, I'm not eating food in this texture. I would rather eat nothing than eat food that is pureed. And it really was an effort to try and find that happy medium. Yeah, absolutely. As a speech-language pathologist, our job is to recommend the least restrictive consistency. So we take everything into perspective, the ability to swallow, what consistencies they're swallowing. We consult the dietitians on how much the patient is taking in because just because they're on a regular diet doesn't mean that's the best consistency for them. If they're not able to feed themselves or eat that regular diet, it doesn't mean as much. So it's all a work in progress with everyone. Lots of moving parts. Oh, yes. Now, Emily, um, we have a very robust program for individuals with a diagnosis of Parkinson's. And I know that speech is a huge thing for many of our, of our folks who have a diagnosis of Parkinson's. Tell me about what your role might be with someone who has that diagnosis. So in general, Parkinson's patients present with reduced voicing and um, reduced motor speech skills. So they have a dysarthria. So that means that their speech is normally weakened. They're more monotone. And the thing about Parkinson's is they don't necessarily have that awareness. So we have a program that's called Speak Out. It's by the Parkinson's Voice Project. So we work really hard on educating our patients and providing them the option to participate in this program because it includes these daily vocal exercises And we also even have a group situation um, called Loud Crowd that we're providing in our building safely with social distancing in mind through electronics. But it's definitely something for the patients to increase and maintain their voicing skills. So it's been challenging, right, because we have been wrestling with the restrictions created by the COVID-19 pandemic. I know that you've You've done some creative things to continue to help people receive the speech therapy that they need. Can you talk about that for a second? Um, So we have implemented some groups that are social distancing, like I was just speaking about, where we are providing the patients with the iPad in their room. If it's for speech therapy, obviously swallowing needs to be a direct patient contact. But if it's for speech and language, if we need to, 
we have the option to provide these uh, Zoom meetings with multiple participants, and they've honestly been going fairly well. If you asked me a year ago if I would be able to get four 90-something-year-olds on a Zoom call to participate in a speech therapy session, I would have thought you were wild. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really working, isn't it? It definitely is, and it's also providing that socialization aspect for these patients to carry over their strategies, which is, that's the goal. That's the point of speech therapy. We're not doing these tasks for the patient to speak well when they're in a structured conversation with the speech therapist. It's for them to speak to their um, their families and friends, and that's the goal. So you're actually using telehealth to make this happen. Are you doing any of this telehealth beyond the walls of the facilities into the community? We have had the opportunity to do this on one occasion so far, but I know the other therapies have also had the opportunity, and it's just a way that we can help assist our elders that are in the community that potentially haven't had the option of the home health because things things are crazy right now with COVID times and the options aren't as abundant. We, we are a little more limited. So the fact that our facility is allowing some of these outpatient telehealth um, appointments, is it's very important. So if someone's listening and they have Parkinson's, they can they can email the Parkinson's at jewishhomefamily.org email and find out more about these speech options for them, right? Absolutely. Our clinical director is very good um, at arranging things if they're indicated for our patients. So. That's great. So one more topic I want to bring up with you today, Emily, and that is COVID. Um, COVID has had an enormous impact on all of our lives and, of course, the lives of those who live in any residential senior housing. How has it impacted your work? You know, you work so closely with people. We worry about airborne spread and those kinds of things. How have you been able to work in the COVID environment that we're living in? So I guess the first thing to consider is what patients have been referred to us that have had COVID. And the thing with COVID, it presents in so many different ways with so many different individuals. And a lot of it has to do with decreased appetite. It's like all of a sudden the nurses are saying, this patient isn't eating anything. We need a speech therapist. And sometimes it also includes a swallowing issue. So it does make sense for them to consult us and figure out what's exactly going on. Then we have the breathing aspect. A lot of patients with COVID are now on oxygen, so that's causing more issues with their swallowing because you can't breathe when you're swallowing. So there's a lot more coordination that they didn't have to worry about before. So basically the communication between us and the nurses has been the most important as as well as the caregivers because... In COVID times, communication is the most important thing because we can't just pop into any room at the snap of a finger. We have to make sure that we're following the appropriate contact and droplet precautions and the isolation precautions. So it's a lot of communication, I would say. It sure is. Do you think your role has changed during the pandemic at all? Um, If anything, I would say our role is not only a therapist right now, it's also that connection between the patient and their families because right now patients are also restricted it's not just us saying oh we can't go out anymore it's like 
you know, the patients haven't seen their families since the beginning of this. And there are some essential caregiver visits that are very helpful, but a lot of these patients were seeing their families every single day. So it's just that communication to provide with the patient and their families. It's, It's kind of everything. Yeah, I'm sure that families are so grateful when you update them and when you say, you know, I... I saw your loved one and he or she is doing well or they asked for this or that or, you know, the isolation that our elders have been subject to has been incredibly difficult. So how great that you provide yet another bridge. Yeah, I definitely would say the biggest impact on the change for me is I'm on the phone with families constantly, Mm. which is important anyway, because those are the people that are going to help you carry over strategies with your patients, but even more now than ever. Emily, uh, one last question. What made you decide to become a speech and language pathologist? Honestly, I couldn't even tell you. My mom had been looking up all these things when I was in high school. She's like, maybe you should do this. Maybe you should do that. And speech language pathologist came up. I took a few courses in college and fell in love. Oh, interesting. And how long have you been, how long have you been out of school? Um, Probably three years now. Okay, great. Well, we are thrilled to have you on our staff, and we were delighted to have you here today. And thank you so very much for being with us. Thank you for having us. All of the children rise. Elders with wisdom rise. Sisters surround us. Right.